You're listening to Robertson Adol Kazilski. Indeed, you are Shavua Tov to everybody. And yes, we are unpacking the mystical texts right here. And uh, what we do during this precious one hour that we are together is that we look through the book of Tehillim, that book of Psalms that was written by King David that speaks to us on so many levels that is so intensely powerful. In fact, this Shabbat, this um, Shabbat that just passed now was uh, the Shabbat that we blessed the new moon of Kislev. And um, I was saying Tehillim along with certain members of my family, it's a custom to say the whole book of Tehillim on Shabbat Mubarakim. And my son brought to my attention that in a book called the Hayom Yom, which is a book of 365 ideas that was compiled together by the Lubavitcher Rebbe, one of the things it says that it is an incredible, incredible schut, incredible merit to say the entire book of Tehillim with a minyan, preferably on every Shabbat Mubarakim, and that that's that's good. That merit guarantees one life and abundant sustenance and health for the, themselves and their children and their their their, their wider family. So, um, yeah, this is a very very important book, a beautiful book, and it is my pleasure, my privilege to spend this hour together with you and um, give you some insights and some ideas of what King David was saying primarily um, behind most of the Tehillim. And I say most of the Tehillim because whilst this book was compiled by King David, certain of the Tehillim, as those of you who have hung around a lot, know there were other authors like Moshe Rabbeinu, like Adam um, himself, Adam Arishon, and others. But we're... Going, we're now tipping over kind of like the mountain of the chapter 119, the longest chapter of Tehillim. And we're going to be looking at the stanzas that all start with the letter Mem. Okay, the letter Mem, it's verses 97 to 104. We have eight verses starting with the letter Mem. That This letter Mem has a numerical value of 40. Okay, we had Lamed before, which was 30. Chaf, Lamed, Mem. This is now we're into the letters that are, that um, go up in tens now. As I explained before, we count one to ten and then you go 20, 30, 40, all the way to 100, then 200, 300, and 400. That is how we designate numbers, um, which of course is the study, study of Gematria. So the letter Mem is the, is the letter that, um, has a numerical value of 40, but before we get to the actual discussion on the numerical value, the Talmud um, that I keep on um, quoting every single week on every single letter, it's the Gemara of Shabbos 104a, if you want to look up, says that the letter Mem represents the word Mamar, pronouncement. And it, it represents the ten ma'amarot, the ten pronouncements with which God created the world. And uh, we were talking about it a lot, um, particularly last week, that Hashem's words, that which he said in order to bring the world into the existence, the, and God said, let there be light, and God said, let there be dot, 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 those God, the, the, those verses are repeated ten times, and God said, and it says that, that those words, those letters, those sentences resonate and actually hold the entire world together um, constantly. And that if God wanted to destroy that, He should just remove that speech that He 
he, um, he made at the beginning of creation and the world would revert back to nothingness. For a greater discussion on that, please go back to my podcast on the letter Lamed. Um, particularly on the first verse, that forever Hashem, your words are hanging in heaven. What I would like to focus more on um, today is the letter Mem and its numerical value of 40. Um, now, 40 um, is very a very, very interesting number um, in the Torah. The first thing that we know is that the embryo is created and formed in 40 days. So from the time of conception, the first 40 days, according to the Gemara, according to our rabbis, the embryo is created and formed. And so we actually have 40 days in which we can pray um, for, 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 the, for the sex of the baby. Um, after that, after the 40 days, what basically just happens is growth from um, from from that embryo, and what is very interesting when it comes to to Torah is to understand quite clearly, quite unequivocally that life begins at conception. Um, we do not hold um, the idea of abortion under any circumstances, save under um, under duress when when the mother's life is at. At, at risk, and of course, then even then, um, one needs to ask rabbinic advice on what to do and how to do it. So the embryo is created and formed in forty days, and this idea is taken forward with many, many other instances in the Torah where forty, the number forty, symbolizes creation. Let me share with you uh, a few examples. For example, um, the 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 Jewish people's 40-year sojourn in the barren desert um, was a time when the Jewish nation was shaped from a multitude of basically fugitive slaves, and they were birthed into a Bnei Israel, into a people of Israel, and they were um, allowed to come into, in, in, into the land. So here is an example of the idea of 40. And when we're going to go and look through uh, these verses, you will see that King David sings of his love for Torah. He says, Torah is the very essence and purpose of God's creation. And once we understand what is inside Torah, we actually understand all the processes that follow, that manifest, that, that give birth to, that, that, that grow, that, um, we understand one of the other ideas with the 40 is that um, when we come to the age of 40, it says that we come to Bina, we come to understanding. The first 40 years, we're basically giving birth to ourselves. We're finding ourselves going through the ups and downs of childhood, of teenagehood. I actually heard a very uh, um, humorous uh, quip. I was listening to an audio book this morning and the guy said that, you know, he thinks that his teenagers suffer from multiple um, personalities, from the personality, multiple personality disorder. You know, they might be 14, but when you look at them, they're either acting like a four-year-old or like a 34-year-old. And he, he, he decided throughout his kids' teenagers, teenage years, he would ask them, are we, am I talking to the four-year-old now or to the 34-year-old? And his response obviously would be different depending on <laughs> what they said. But we go through childhood, we go through, you know, through the teenage years, then we go in the 20s and even into the 30s 
where we're kind of like blossoming and it's kind of when we get to the age of 40, we kind of like go over a tip over where we start getting better, we start getting intuition and understanding and, uh, and a maturity. And so that is also a birthing, um, that we see. So the idea of a birthing of a creation of a, a, a coming into fruition is really based on the idea that we need to to um, embrace the the learning of Torah, because when we embrace the learning of the, of, of Torah, um, then we are able to give birth. We're able, first of all, to conceptualize and then give birth and bring into fruition what it is that God wants from this world, what it is that we need to do, and we will be able to live life um, in its fullest. And so, after this break, we are going to. Uh, Go into each and every single verse and see what King David has to say about the learning of Torah in particular. You're listening to Robertson Adol Kazilski. Okay. While you're getting your running shoes on, let's get our brains into gear. Let's understand what King David has to say about the letter Mem. And he starts off quite in quite a, 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 Excited, loud manner by saying, Ma'a hafti Torah techa, how I love your Torah. Ki hayom hi, ki kol hayom hi sikhati, that all day long, um, it is my conversation. So he kind of like gives a big, uh, expression out there. I love the Torah. I love it. How I love it. And the reason why he does is because, a person who truly delves into the ideas that are taught by Torah, a truly sincere pers- person, will eventually become estranged from anything that is false and that is worthless. Why? Because you will understand that Torah is perfect. And when you have an appreciation um, for Torah, then you, you don't you, – you see that everything else in life is not – doesn't have the same value. Okay, the love of Torah doesn't become stale with the passage of time. And that's why he says, Mawa hafti Torah techa. Um, how I love your Torah. Now, if you take the words, Mawa hafti Torah techa, the first letter is a mem. A hafti starts with an aleph and Torah techa starts with a taf. If you just juggle them around, you will see that how I love your Torah actually stands for the word emet, for truth. Because Torah is truth. Torah is God's wisdom. You know, the Talmud in the, the Gemara of Menuchos describes a man called Yosef Abavli. He was a dedicated student, and he found once a small matter in his rabbi's lecture that was unclear to him. So he doggedly went through the entire academy, in, through the entire Beit Midrash, and he asked each student to help him clarify this detail. And his initial efforts met with no success, and he continued and continued. He was really, really determined until he finally reached the, the proper answer. And then this guy was as happy as, as anything. He was absolutely elated. His face shone with joy. And when his master, who was his teacher, Rabbi Elazar ben Shamua, became aware of this, he exclaimed the following, he said, how praiseworthy are you, O students of Torah, that the words of Torah are so precious to you. Of you, the psalmist says, says, hafti Torah techa kol hayoim hisichati, how I love your Torah for all day, it is my conversation. And indeed, if anybody has the schut, 
had themselves a schut, the, the merit or somebody has seen and people learning in a Beit Midrash, it is a very, very animated experience. Just something we, which we use our heart and our soul, our mind. We really, really get involved in it because it's, it's actually an incredible study. It has, it is, it doesn't have a depth. It has an infinite depth. One can never ever come to the end of Torah, as we've said so many, many, many times. And one knows that when one discusses the same topic incessantly, day and night, you can eventually become bored. It becomes dull. It becomes sometimes even repulsive to continue saying the same thing over and over again. But here what King David is declaring is that he remains in love. He's enamored with Torah, no matter how much he discusses it. He loves it even though it is the topic of his conversation all the time. And this is based, by the way, on a verse in the Torah that we say every single day. We also have it written in our mezuzahs. It's part of the Shema, where we says, Vedibartabam, and you should speak about it. Beshiftecha bevetecha, when you're sitting in your house. Uvelechtecha baderech, when you're walking on your way. Uveshochbecha, when you lie down. Uvekumecha, when you get up. We are obligated to take the study of Torah and not just use it as an intellectual pursuit or something that we do once a week at a shiur or something that when once in a while we read, it is something that needs to be on our lips all the time. It has to be part of our, of who we are. It's part to be part of the reason, the, the very reason of why we are alive. And if you pursue Torah and the study of Torah and the understanding of Torah and the the living of Torah in such a way, it becomes a way of life. It becomes the philosophy, the way that you look at things, the way you question the world, the way you understand the world, the way you behave in the world. It's absolutely um, incredible. And the Midrash um, observes that when a man loves Torah, he actually loves life itself. Because what was King David saying? King David was saying, wherever I go, Torah goes with me. And never do I put it aside because I never um, because it, Torah isn't a burden for me, okay? It is my conversation. It's my sicha. It's my prayer. It is with me all the time. And this is something that really, really should um, inspire us that we embrace Torah. We learn Torah in such a way with a passion, with an excitement, with an enthusiasm, um, because we're learning something that is that is endless that that is infinite that is brilliant that is deep that is that is everything it's everything king david goes on to the second verse of the eight sta- uh, eight verses that's verse number 98 and he says mitzvotecha your commandments made me wiser than my enemies because it was for, it was it is ever with me so who are these enemies that King David is talking about? Well, two of David's most formidable enemies were two gentlemen, maybe they weren't so gentle, two men, by the name of Doeg and Achitophel. Now, Doeg and Achitophel were both renowned Torah scholars, um, and they had amassed a tremendous amount of knowledge, but their study was insincere, so they never, ever arrived at the truth. And this is what King David was saying when your commanders made me wiser than my enemies. What King David was saying was that his intent was not merely to gather an impressive array of knowledge, okay? Because gathering 
knowledge and facts is one thing. But when you actually gain insight and understanding into it and you learn how to live it, that's when you become wise. And therefore, that's why King David says, you revealed the truth to me and made me wiser than my enemies. So a person who has a tremendous amount of knowledge doesn't necessarily mean that he's a wise person. Could just be a walking Google. A person who is wise is somebody who takes his study and he inculcates it into his life and he lives by it. And that's really what Torah demands of us, what God demands of us. Other commentators, by the way, interpret these words differently. Radak says, From my encounter with my enemies, you made me wise. Meaning that at every possible means, David's enemies tried to tear him away from his Torah. But what did King David do? He clung tenaciously to his Torah. And he, he gained a greater appreciation of and devotion to God's Torah. The Ibn Yahya went and said, um, that what King David was saying, that he was even willing to lower himself to seek instruction from his enemy because maybe his enemy had something worthwhile to teach him. I like the fourth interpretation, which comes from a commentator called the Kedusha Salevi. And the Kedusha Salevi goes and says that we should actually interpret this verse homiletically. Your commandments make me your enemies. Your commandments made me wiser than my enemies. Meaning, what is the greatest enemy of a Jew? It's his yetsahora. It's his evil inclination. Okay, and your evil inclination is that part of you that will tell you not to do it, not to be like this, to indulge yourself a little bit. It's that inclination that is trying to take you away from your purpose. And your, the, the, the manner in which you should be living your life. So, King David realized that only the wisdom of the Torah was, was, um, able to help him outsmart his evil inclination so that he should not succumb to the seduction of what the evil inclination was trying to tell him. And, it is forever with me, meaning that Torah study has to be for each and every Jew the very essence of their being, the basic purpose for which you were created. And one should gain, one should have spiritual delight um, in Torah study. And its impact should not cease, not in this world and not in the next. Um, very interestingly, the Torah, uh, it says here in the Midrash that the Torah can be likened to a honey jug. When a quart of water is poured into a jug filled with honey, a quart of the honey will be displaced. Similarly, to the extent that you admit an alien culture into your heart, you're going to force the words of Torah out. So one should be careful. One can't, you know, um, sit and say, you know, I'll do a little bit of Torah and I'll do a little bit of this and I'll, I'll embrace a little bit of that, etc., etc. Torah has to be all-encompassing and um, it is a study that gives us an answer to everything. And um, the way that we acquire it as we go out and we learn, learn through Chai FM, learn through the various websites that are the Jewish websites, authentic Jewish websites that are around, go to a shir of which there are many, many given by the most fantastic rabbis and rabbitsons in town. Um, the Jewish book bookshops are filled with a plethora of subjects and topics um, 
learn Torah. Verse 99 reads, Mikol melamdai hiskalti, from all my teachers I grew wise. Ki edvotecha sichali, for your testimonies are my conversation. Now, one of the, 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 the important things that um, is needed when one learns Torah is that one needs to first start with a Rav Mufak, a primary teacher, where you learn the basics of Torah, where it, you can imprint on your mind a, a thinking. Because if you go from one teacher to another and, and you're gleaning scraps of information, you're basically dabbling. You're, you're, you're being pretty shallow about it. And because Torah is so deep, not only is it, has it got depth, it's got width, it's, it's 3D, it's 4D. In fact, the, 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 the Pirkei Avos tell us that, that there are 70 faces to Torah. Okay, Torah has got so many um, uh, points of view in terms of the way you look at things that one, when one is beginning to learn Torah, one needs to pick a teacher and learn with the teacher, get the proper procedure in place, learn the basic classics of Torah from a worthy teacher. And once you've learned and mastered the basic texts, then you can engage in deeper study to sharpen your wit and to understand. And then that's why then Torah is infinite, because then you can take the same basic text that you've learned, and this year you can learn it this way, and the next year another way, and the next year another way, and another way, and another way. And many, many times you will see that sometimes the, even what seemingly looks like divergent opinions actually come together um, as one. And so this is what King David was saying, I gained understanding from my teachers or from my elders. Okay. I, I, I learned a hashkofa. I learned a tradition. I learned a clear frame of reference through which to evaluate and integrate all my subsequent knowledge um, into a, co- a coherent uh, body of wisdom. And uh, Ben Zoma in Pirke Avot in, in chapter four, the first Mishnah says, Ezer Chacham, who is the wise man? Hamalamed Mikol Adam. He who learns from every man. Okay. As it says, from all my teachers, I grew wise. And uh, what we actually understand is that you can find, you will find, every single teacher will have an angle on Torah, uh, something that will resonate with them, something that they'll be passionate about. Um, one, one needs to get the basics and then learn from the various teachers, the various aspects and, and ideas and, and, philo- not for, and philosophy and understanding of what Torah is all about. And then you will be able then to, to be called wise. Okay, being wise, as I said before, is not just gathering knowledge, you being able just to, you know, regurgitate verses or understanding or whatever it is you've got to Torah. Being wise is taking everything that you that you learn from everybody and integrating it into your your view. And when I'm saying learn from everybody, from every teacher of Torah, from every aspect of Torah. And thank God we have got a lot of that available and accessible to us today on many, many, many levels. And one of the interesting things that King David says, he says, Ki edvotecha sichali, your testimonies are my conversation. Meaning that every aspect of life contains a lesson. 
because every detail is a wonder that testifies to God's greatness. So everyday conversation, even if it's apparently mundane, is a testimony to God. And every man must become your teacher because you can gain wisdom from every encounter in life. And this is how David behaved. David respected having a conversation with people. It didn't matter how humble it was or how coarse he might be. He always felt that it was not the man, but God that was speaking through that man to him and providing him inspiration. And the word advotecha is pronounced um, with a vav. Okay, because the Vav, as we spoke about before, um, says, it says that Vav it has a numerical value of six. God created the world in six days and everything created in those six days, no matter how small, how insignificant, how humble, testifies to the wisdom of God and his creation. So a person who, who is a, a, a student of Torah, knows that wherever he goes, whatever he does, how he chooses to live, how he has his conversations with his family members, with his wife, his children, his uh, the, the husband, with the, in the workplace, you should have the, the framework of Torah, the paradigm of Torah, the compass of Torah guiding you. Because when you get involved in that thing, you'll see how brilliant Torah is in answering everything that that you have a question about, and just I, I need to make mention here that one of the 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 um, misunderstandings people have is that people who are observant and keep Torah are they're, they're they're robotic. You know, the Torah says do this and they do that and they don't question. On the contrary, Torah is more about questions than answers, and we encourage questions. And it's okay to say I don't know. Why? Because Torah is so vast that there is nobody on this planet that is able to say, I know the answer to everything. We can go back and we can go look into the sources of Torah. We can try and go and understand what Torah is telling us. Um, but we encourage questions. We encourage debate. And I guess that's why, um, you know, when you look at the Jews, you always go and say that <laughs> you, you have three Jews and you'll always have six or seven opinions. You're listening to Robertson Adol Kazilski. And we are on verse 100, verse 100 of Kapitel Kufyotet of chapter 119. And here is something that King David says that, yes, you will have your grandfather, grandmother wag their fingers at you. But it is so true. He says, Miskeinim et boinan, ki pikodecha notzarti. From the elders I have gained understanding, for I have cherished your precepts. Now, one of the places that we can learn the most from is from the elders, from those that are coming from, from before us in probably almost every aspect of life. Yes, the elders might be stuck in an older generation where things were done a little different, but there is certainly a wealth of experience, a wealth of insight, a wealth of intuition that our elders can always give us. And it is a, it is a sign of maturity a sign of openness that a person can go to somebody older than them and say, what do you think about this? You know, what is your opinion? And to value their opinions. 
And certainly for us, we have many, many elders in the chain of Torah. In fact, they go all the way back down to those who transmitted the oral tradition that uh, Moshe Rabbeinu gave. And to this day, we look back and say, what did the Rambam say? What did Rabbi Yehoshua ben Levi say? What did this one say? What did that one say? Because we understand the value of of the elders and those who have gone through the process of life gathering the experience that they did. Now, there is a method, though, in studying the Torah, and this is from the Avos de Rabbi Nason, the Rabbi Nason. He says like this, one needs to understand the basics of Torah from a single experience teacher because a person should choose one permanent teacher and then learn from him Chumash, Scripture, which is the five books of Moses, then Mishnah, then Midrash, then Halacha, then Agada. And he says the following, if the teacher fails to explain something comprehensively when they are studying Chumash, he'll make up for it when they study Mishnah. And if he deletes some commentary when they are studying Midrash, he will compensate for it when they study Halacha. And if he misses an insight when teaching Halacha, he will certainly inserted when he teaches Agada. And so one should remain in a place where one gets saturated with all the goodness and the kindness and rely on those who have come before us, those who know more than us and, 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 and follow, you know, follow them so that you can learn the traditions and the lessons. And that's how really we Jewish people have ensured the continuity of our Torah in you know, of the Torah Shabbat, the written Torah for sure, and as well, the Torah Shabbat al the, the oral Torah. Okay, because as our rabbis teach us that a man learns more from the more, much more from his teachers, more from his uh, from, from his colleagues, and then once you come into a position where you are able to teach, go out and teach, because the greatness and brilliance of this is that you will learn the most, believe it or not, from your students. Mikol Ra Kaliti Raglai. From every evil path I restrained my feet, meaning any time that I was going to do something evil, I was not motivated by fear of public opinion, by fear of divine punishment. I knew what I had to do because I knew Torah. I kept your word. Hashem Lishmor Devarecha and I kept your words. Verse 102 reads as follows, Mi mishpatecha lo sarti, okay, from your judgments I did not depart, meaning King David didn't, and he said, this is the message for us as well, he did not depart from God's commandments, and he didn't perform them mechanically by rote. He made it his business, he strived to understand them to the limit of his capacities, and therefore when there was judgment, when there was something that seemed to have on the, on the superficially or practically look negative, he, under, he knew that th- because he was so steeped and so in, um, ingrained, Torah was so ingrained within him that there was no way that he would depart from Torah. And we all have times, you know, when we question or we doubt, doubt, doubts crop up in our minds. We might be bewildered. We might be confused. Our first reaction is, well, let's forget about it. Let's leave it. King David says, you don't do that. You go back to the Torah. You delve into the Torah. You understand what it says in the Torah. Very interestingly, I want to read a, a, a commandment from you that's in the book of Deuteronomy. 
It's chapter 17, verses 8 to 11. It reads as follows. If a matter arises, which is beyond your ability of judgment, then you shall go to the priests, the Levites, and to the judge who will be in those days and inquire. You shall not deviate from the judgment which they tell you to the right or to the left, which is something very, very important. We all have limited capacities. We all have a limited understanding. And if we have, we are at a loss at comprehending what it is we need, we need to go to our rabbis, to our bate dinim, to the beth din, to the, to our teachers that are steeped in Torah. And this, by the way, and it is a comment that needs to be made. This idea is vitally important for the continuum. That, that, that we are on of, of ensuring that Torah remains authentic, Torah remains pure, Torah remains true. When we see other, um, ideas coming in, infiltrating and saying, you know what, Torah, that, that was great for 2000 years ago, but now, you know, we're living in a modern time and that needs to change because that was because of this or because of that. And, you know, that, that is outdated. That should be the first red flag for you to go and say, this cannot be authentic teaching because by definition, if we believe that God is God and that God's wisdom is encapsulated in Torah and that God looked into the Torah and created the world. Then by definition, everything that exists and happens in the world in all generations at all times and places, there is an answer for it in authentic Torah thought. And for anybody or any movement of thought to come and say, well, now, you know, we're in to a liberal liberalism. We're into Feminism, we're into any other isms, you know, and ologies that there are in this world, and Torah needs to change in order to adapt to the times. That puts up a red flag. That is telling you that whatever ism that you're listening to is coming and is man, it's coming from man, it's man made, and it doesn't, it, 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 it smacks of falsehood. So this is really what King David was saying then. Okay? Um, how sweet is my palate to your, to your, sorry, how sweet is my, um, to my palate is your word, midvash lefi, it's more than honey to my mouth. Now the word nimletsu is cognate with the word melitza. Melitza means a beautiful figure of speech, meaning how sweet to the tongue of the speaker and to the ear of the listener is Torah. And there is a very, very interesting idea here, just talking about, about sweetness, that um, it says a sweet taste on the tongue is essential for Torah uh, study. And that's why we see in the book of Ruth, it says Boaz ate and drank and his heart was merry. Some say he gladdened his heart with the study of Torah. Others say, and this is in the Yalkuchimoni, others say that he ate sweets after the meal because sweets accustom the tongue Two words of Torah. The Midrash Tanhuma says, saliva is sweet, unlike tears which are salty, because man recites words of Torah with his mouth and words of Torah are sweeter than honey. The, the Gemara of uh, the, the, the Talmud Yerushalmi says, 40 years before the Jewish people were exiled to Bavel, God caused date palms to be planted there because the honey of the date is very sweet. And eating sweets accustoms the tongue to searching out for sweetness of Torah. But there's a very interesting time-honored 
uh, custom. We know that when we cut a boy's hair at the age of three and we take him wrapped up in his father's talit to school, to the Beit Midrash to start learning Torah, the first thing that we do is we put drops of honey on the letters of the Aleph Bet and we go through the letters saying say Aleph, say Bet, say Gimel and each time he does it he, he, he licks off the honey from the letters so that he will always associate the letters of Torah with sweetness. You're listening to Robertson Edel Kazilski. And we are going to be wrapping up verse 104, which is the last of the eight verses of the Torah, which says, Mi pikodecha et bonan, through your precepts I acquire understanding. Al kain saneti kol orech shakel, therefore I hate every path of falsehood. And this really is the gift of the Torah, that when one sits and one learns the Torah, and one delves into it and asks the questions and, and toils in the study of Torah, one comes to acquire understanding, one comes to understand what this world is all about. One then recognizes all the paths of falsehood that there are in this world. And even though people might spew them and argue them and, uh, you know, put them out, they really have nothing to stand on because the proof of the pudding is, is that the Jews, the Torah, Eretz Yisrael and God are all one. They're part of a divine plan. And in that plan, you know, every, everything is encapsulated. So I encourage each and every one of you, to go out and take on and learn a little bit more every single day on whatever topic, uh, you know, makes, makes your heart sing, makes your mind, mind race where you're able to ask questions, learn some Torah because this is the thread that has kept us authentically as a Jewish people clinging to that which is true and which is real and that which was created from time immemorial. With that, I wish you a wonderful week. And please, God, we'll be back again this time next week.